Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CEDH. I'm one of your hosts, Lyndon, aka Noobzors, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Matt, aka Null. Yo, yo. Reed, aka Sick Robot. What's up? And Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going? And in this episode, uh, we're going to be doing a listener mailbag. Uh, this is the second mailbag episode we've done, I think. Um, but Correct. This is kind of like making up for all the uh, listener questions um, we've skipped uh, during our, <laughs> our our very long ban list <laughs> series or saga or whatever it is at this point, you know? Our feature-length <laughs> series. Our yeah. marathon. So yeah. before we get into that, um, what have you guys been up to since the last episode? Well... I've been building a few bad decks and releasing to the world. <laughs> um, I ended up building and testing a Gallia deck recently. Um, what is it? Gallia of the Endless Dance. Okay, Endless yeah. Dance, yeah. Uh, which is actually is this uh, like a sort of yeah, one v one because you know you're getting that aggression. Nope. Oh, oh nope. I see, I see, I see. <laughs> it is a Snoop uh, combo just, deck. Yeah, I was like that just looks cards. like a Snoop deck. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I mean, like, there's some interesting stuff with it. So your commander, like, it has haste, and it only requires your stuff to be attacking and not actually connect. So you can do stuff where, like, you know, like you you play snoop, play your commander, swing with your commander, and some other stuff. Doesn't matter if all of it gets blocked, and then like you draw the cards anyway, which is pretty neat. Dude, I love um, discarding yeah, random nice. cards. Dude, okay, so <laughs> yes, but you know what's spicy as fuck with Galia? What? Is Library of Lang? Uh, okay, because sure. It means that whenever you discard a card that you like want to keep in your hand, you could just put it on top and redraw it with Galia. I guess. <laughs> okay. But then you're running Library of Lang. So you're in I green, mean, red, and you're trying to get a Library it, of Lang into play. <laughs> <laughs> it 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 increases the chances of your uh, your attacks being live. But I mean, it's is, like isn't so, the Failure Academy only opponent's effects? Yes. It is. Oh, yes. Okay. Library of Lang is the only um, symmetrical effect, or like only effect that includes both you and your opponents in that tough card text. Okay. Um, but I mean, I mean, like you can also you can also do stuff with like a uh, scroll rack. Like scroll rack's not terrible with Galia either, and you just like you know do that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, um, but this is, I don't want to digress too much. But you said there's if in that type of card text, is there? I think is there only just two cards with that type of card text though? Um. Isn't well, there's just Tamio. Tamio makes it so you can't discard. Um, but it's only to your opponent's effects. Yeah, um, um, but the things that then, let you discard a top of library, it's just Nefelia Academy and Library of Lang, right? But uh, like even like just even stuff that triggers on like you discarding cards in general, it tends to be like if you discard cards because of an opponent's card effect. Oh, okay, like yeah, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are very few effects that trigger off of you discarding like that, yeah. cards that trigger off of both you and your opponents discarding. Because otherwise, like, it's just, yeah. Bailouts just become extremely terrible for game health if you can just discard them to a future dump. Yeah. And just yeah, be yeah. like, hey, look, I have a Bailout for life for free. Yeah, yeah. Man, or, could you, or could or you like, imagine that okay. modern deck where you just play, like, 
putrid Marine use constrictor, and they're just like goblin. discard nullhide yeah. ferrex, discard obstacle, oh, yeah, discard sure. wilt leaf or, leash. Just or, <laughs> or imagine, imagine the hollow one deck where you just like oh god, it was, it was just the hollow one deck, except you also just got to play Bayloth and nullhide ferrex. <laughs> Hell yeah! Oh, no. Hell yeah! <laughs> Dude, burning um, inquiries. Oh my god! Uh, god. Dude, Burning Inquiry make 12 12 with a power gauge 12 life. <laughs> okay, but uh, for real, just on the context of, or in the context of Gallia, um, I look, I feel like the deck is pretty interesting. Historically, green red hasn't been a great color combination for a CDH, and I feel like it sort of makes it more realistic when you can, like, just you just get Goblin Recruiter and then your commander just wins with Goblin Recruiter plus some mana. Yeah, I feel the, like that's pretty. The one neat. thing green does yeah. well is creature tutors, right? And yeah. you know, so and if you, you have, have like a way to creature, do that, you have this then, creature yeah. combo piece, you have a very cheap draw engine in the command zone, and like it just like it's a reasonable amount of mana, especially in green, to be able to win the game off of one yeah. card. You um, also have so like reasonably efficient counter spells, deflecting swats somehow. Yeah, like <laughs> so this is this is something that I've talked about a fair amount recently, is like green like sans blue has gained a lot of like protective elements and counterspell-esque effects recently to the point where like i feel like it's just a lot more reasonable to play combos in those colors and feel like they can resolve consistently wait what also, else has it gained besides swat i mean veil uh, well veil, like, yeah. okay SWAT, I, I guess it's, it veil. depends on how yeah how far back you yeah but like that yeah. just like that kind of stuff right <laughs> since we started the into the north <laughs> podcast <laughs> um, because but, I mean, I, like, i'm assuming all of our listeners like that's how they define the eras of cdh right <laughs> yeah. are, are we, do we like, how far back are we still like our partners are recent you know four oh color has become pretty good oh recently god. as of the so, printing so, of Cassius so, and timna and even aside from just like assembling combos and being like reasonably cost in all of this, like she's also like a reasonably costed drunch in, in green red, which like isn't a thing that we've had historically. Like it's hard to generate cards in green red for the most part. So yeah. I don't know. I I feel like it's an interesting thing. It's not necessarily something that I'm interested in like dedicating a whole lot of time to because it's still green red, you know? Yeah. But um that, like it's interesting right like the commander does something and it hadn't really been touched since snoop came out i don't think i think it's all like two-ish decks and they were both like mid-power decks for her so you know i feel like well make the attempt. Yeah, it's, interesting. I, it's interesting it would also just really tilt me to see it across the table for me because they would be playing a deck so clearly capable of blocking timna and just would <laughs> and never <they> just don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man you also you also get like six synergy like uh Xenagos making three three hastes that also swing and draw you cards, which is pretty neat. Yep. Maybe maybe you and I have different definitions of six synergy. My Seder Lord Commander combos with this card that makes satyrs. There aren't a whole lot of synergies. In fact, I think there are like under twenty satyrs that actually. Are you running? Are you running? And you as much as everyone likes to shit on me talking about like mid power. This is Reed clearly trying to sneak in mid power content. Okay, I mean trust me it's not high like, power it's cd okay, but Reed, are you running gruel ultimatum <laughs> all right you know what? i'm done we're moving on <laughs> okay we got to we got to spend one episode 
talking about Chainer. Now we're talking about Gallia. We're still going to work through our meme decks. I mean, this is this this is just an indication of how healthy yeah, okay. CDH is, you know? Clearly the demand the, is there. The worst part is that, like, this isn't even something that I'm, like, super, like, invested in, like, Spleen is with Chainer. It's just, like, something that I built and tested for, like, a few games. Okay, I'll have you know, I... Think cultivated how much I don't care about Chainer. <laughs> and it it really offends me when you suggest anything else. Well, so it seems like Reed has had fun since last episode. Anybody else? Or... <laughs> Not really, no. I've been working on well, Dark decks as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing some Hearthstone Battlegrounds. Wait, what? Dude, I haven't touched Hearthstone ever since I won super big money playing yeah. Hearthstone. Ever since I became oh. collegiate Hearthstone superstar <laughs> noob Yeah, I basically, you know, hit my peak and just retired, you know, retired a champion or a second yeah. place, whatever, you know? It's, it's doesn't matter doesn't who cares who cares no, um, streaming no. video games is overrated anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i guess since the last episode i don't know i guess the only thing worth note i'm talking about is just how about them toronto raptors eh <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. probably old news by the time that we release this but yeah dude raptors yeah, exactly have been, have you're lost. saying this <laughs> You're saying this and they're going to have been eliminated in game seven. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, no. You jinxed it. No. Well, I don't, actually... don't edit out my, my knock. This is a, this is real wood. Uh, actually, you know what, Sam? Real wooden desk. Keep that in. That did not sound like wood. <laughs> it's mounted on metal. Hold okay. on. That's real particle board right there, fellas. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, so I will. I will. Yeah, yeah. I don't have much else to say besides. All right, wraps. beautiful. Yeah. I will. I will. I will say on the topic of auto battler as on auto battlers as Spleen brought up. I am currently hard stuck masters in TFT right now, but I'm happy that I got there. <laughs> um, just hard stuck for end of season feels bad, man. I don't know what you know, anything that, you just said means. I have no. You know, clue. you know, getting to that point where like you. You know that you could do better, but you just don't want to spend the time on being better. So you're just stuck. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's what I tell myself in, in every video game I play, you know? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm just Dude, that's I'm why I tell way myself below my power podcast, level, you know, my, my, my yeah, ceiling, but yeah, I just don't want to okay. devote the time, you know? Yeah, that's okay. it. That's <laughs> so if I practice, Dude, I can be playing the I World Series of Poker right now, but mm. you know. let's move on because we've yeah. uh, spent a lot of time. A whole lot of time. Yeah. So uh, next up, we've got housekeeping. Uh, housekeeping, of course, we cover new patrons. Uh, so big shout out to new patron Smug. Um, and you know another big. Sh- oh wait, no, we would shout him out. If he was actually a patron, but as with last episode, this is another call out for Jordan from the Gitrog server. Own up to your side of the bet, my guy. You 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 owe us a one dollar patron subscribe. So, okay, Lyndon, yeah. you should bet someone on the Frog server for how long we'll continue to call out Jordan for not <laughs> <laughs> do the do the over under on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that's housekeeping. Um, yeah, big shout out to uh, to Smug for you know actually becoming a patron uh okay we can't not say you rock so okay wait but just saying you can't not say say you rock count as saying you rock i i counted three two two three times that we've all said uh 
you rock do you if i can i say never mind you know i was gonna be like can i say three times and then if i say it then that becomes a third time but you know it's just it's too strange to consider anyway yeah getting side you know our (laughs) patrons really help us you know create this podcast and we really do value their contributions as much as we may be memeing about whether or not yeah. they oh, yeah. rock. <laughs> Especially, like, at the current point in time, we're, we're all still sort of embroiled in a global pandemic. Um, I don't know, man. What are you talking lot. about? Look at the United States, man. They're going on as if there's, there's, <laughs> oh, it's God. all over. It's, oh, it's gone. It's done. Are we, are we really going to get into this? No, we're not but, getting into <laughs> this. But, like, seriously, it, it means a lot, especially now that you're willing to, you know, Spend spend the time, spend the money, and we super appreciate it. As always, we uh, the money goes toward paying our ever suffering editor, and uh, you know, upgrading the upgrading the podcast, making it better for all of you. Um. So moving on to new developments. Um. So, Azrael uh, reached out to me. Uh, you want to uh, get us to shout out a upcoming tournament, uh, and this is called Oktoberfest. Uh, it's a CDH tournament that's going to be held on Saturday, October 7th um, at 11 a.m., and it's run by I Sleep Too Late, who I believe hosted or, or Has organized run multiple yeah, several yeah, CDH tournaments. tournaments. Yeah. And I think Reed has won. It, have you won? Including the tournament that was the, I guess, genesis of this podcast. Correct. That was the partial credit. Both me and Morgan were runners up to yes, <laughs> Astral <Exactly. Codex. laughs> Hey, that was a fantastic game of gin pong. Oh my god, <laughs> the, I god, I feel so bad about that game because I could have just tutored for an apprentice necromancer and I didn't. I was like, no, you know what? I'm taking this gin. We're doing this. At least you didn't play a fetch land into an Avon Mind Sensor and then lose because of it. So nice. But anyway, uh, yeah. So the continuing on with the tournament details, it's a free to enter tournament um, with up to six hundred dollars in prizing uh, for the uh, top cut. So, which is huge. Yeah. Um, huge prize pool. Yeah. Registration opens on Thursday, September seventeenth. So I think that's going to be. That's after uh, we after this have releases, released this, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, if you want to register, I think you can join their Discord, and we'll be linking to that in the description for the episode. Um, yeah, uh, next up, Reed, New Developments, you got this one. So yep. it was your area. Um, I guess both of these are sort of my area, unless Morgan wants to chip in for the second. But um, first one, uh, I think we covered this fairly recently, but there's a new database update. Um we're still working hard. Uh, Sinestra's doing a lot of work as the new guy on the team, but um, he's been dedicated a lot of time to getting the stuff out. We're, Is that I the think season's we... past guy? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's also... I don't know if I mentioned the new website last Wait, time. Hang, we hang on a second. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. In before... <laughs> which is exactly what Sinestra is going to type yeah. in the Into the North server or potentially the YouTube comments. Slam face into keyboard, roll a bit, hit enter. Um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know if we mentioned the new uh, website. I think we have, but again, new website. Um, as long as, like, also being 
good for everybody visiting and easier on the eyes and a lot easier to use. It also makes our job a lot easier by streamlining the submission and review process. So big thanks to Average for that. Um, yeah, new update. Uh, if you have a deck that you think is significant enough and strong enough to go on the database, feel free and please do submit it. Um, yeah, check it out. Also, we I think we topped over 150 submissions for the last submission period, and I think it's only been growing, so thanks to the community for that. Also, thanks for making our lives harder and making our jobs harder, but, you know, <laughs> it's all for the greater good. Someone out um, there needs to write a, a program that just generates, like, CDH decks and, like, just no, <laughs> make no. submissions to please the uh, no. database. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh so yeah that's a pretty big update and then also by the time this comes out should be publicly announced who's getting in but as of the time of this recording i don't think i can announce um the results for this but uh the r slash cdh discord and reddit server discord server and reddit there we go subreddit Okay, let's restart this. <laughs> the uh, the r cdh uh, Discord server and subreddit have opened up uh, uh, mod applications and I believe have closed them as of the time of this episode being out. Um, and we should have a bunch of new additions to the mod team, um, which is super exciting because, uh, I mean, we've already silly had a bit of an aging moderation. I wouldn't say aging. I guess, like, it's just people, you know, migrating in and out and not being super engaged with the community, so it's awesome to get some new blood in. Uh, and yeah, keep your eye out for that announcement. Or, and there's also I the, uh, the virtual LGS nights, right? Yes, that too. Um, yeah, the CDH server... Uh, if you want to check it out, it now has a virtual LGS night on Thursdays, where to replace the loss of a lot of physical LGSs around the globe, um, we're doing virtual LGS hangouts. So everybody comes together, plays some games on Trice, talks, BSs a bit, roasts each other while they're playing games for their bad plays, all that good stuff. Um, so if you want to check that out, go to the uh discord.gg slash cdh discord server and hop on for nine eight to nine p.m on thursdays est yes got that one right um yeah cool cool uh so that takes us into the main topic of the show which of course is the mailbag um so we've got we've got a couple i guess we've got one quick one first uh and that comes to us from listener anno uh, Anno asks, how did you talk about the ban list for six hours without a single threat of violence towards someone with a dissenting opinion? Good question. So, so the answer is, uh, we did. We got a lot we of the heat out in the pre-show <laughs> while we were writing the show notes. The show like, was actually recorded. You know, we, we 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 weren't we weren't actually recording over you know Discord or anything. We were we were in the room and we each had two guns pointed at you know someone else on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah, that every time someone yeah. had a bad take, you you move your gun to point at them instead. <laughs> Yeah. Of course. I mean, and of do, course, do we, thank you as always to our long suffering podcast editor Roku. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I I think we spent more time in pre-shows for the Vanlist episodes than we did actually recording. <laughs> and it was a lot of it was getting the arg- a lot of the argument out of our system. Um 
rather Finding than just where we having to compromise. Yeah. <laughs> rather, and like try to figure out like what talking points we could actually get through um, and agree on or at least agree to disagree for a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Because otherwise, uh, pretty much the entire episode would have been the Divine Intervention extra. <laughs> and it would have been yeah. like a five-hour <laughs> continuous argument for each of the episodes. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, even after all this time of doing the podcast, pre-show on, on contentious topics can take a long time there's definitely you know you'd think that after all this time you know maybe we'd be like oh you know let's just uh you know get on to with it and you know we're, we're like agree with with a lot of stuff but no no and honestly <laughs> I, I like that aspect i like that we're still yeah we still I, get heated i mean i i think we have also gotten some feedback at this point and i mean let us know what your opinions are but i from the majority of what i've seen like people really like that we have differing opinions that we express and debate a fair amount at least on the podcast and uh you know i i feel like we give a fairly good range of opinions on the topics that we cover so okay then uh next up uh matt why don't you read this one sure uh do you think dockside would be more reasonable if it was only artifacts and not enchantments and this question was uh authored by hisp so, I mean, the short Ooh. answer is yes. Anything that makes it generate fewer just treasures. Absolutely, yes. Is a good thing in my books. Um, but it is interesting, yeah. like, how playable do you think, like, would it be? I think it would become much more of a meta consideration because I think that, um, like, particularly. It, no one plays anti-enchantment, but you definitely can play anti-artifact. Um, yeah. And so I think that there would be a, like a more realistic thing where it was like like, you know, the decks that historically have run like Meltdown, like the more staxy decks, you know, like it can actually just be like more or less blank. I also think that it's like a much more appropriate, like from a flavor perspective, first of all, like artifacts are much more like physical objects, which I think fits the flavor of the dockside extortionist, but also just red doesn't interact with enchantments. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That comment is on that. We're like, it's always like sort of stuck out to me that like dockside interacts with enchantments at all, considering it's not really red space to do anything with. You think it'd be like kind a, of like treasure nabber, you know? Yeah. Like I, I was actually sort of considered like, mm. I, I've, I've, I, I was sort of Treasure thinking, never should take carpet of flowers. Change my mind. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it would like. So if we're talking about like flavor in general, um, and like getting a bit deeper into that topic, I feel like Dockside should like realistically be like only interact with artifacts, but interact with artifacts more directly. If you know what I mean. Like rather than just like counting the number of artifacts that people have, and like I mean, I don't know. Treasures. I think that that's like. That's I, like I a like, reasonable. I feel like it's a very reasonable effect, but like, like wow, it, these it, are some nice artifacts you have. It'd be yeah, a shame yeah. if anything were to happen to them. But I feel like it. It would. I don't know if if it had like a bit more of a direct effect, it would make more sense to me. But I, I definitely feel like it's it, like acceptable that it would like see artifacts and make treasures. But the enchantments has always sort of been egregious, in my opinion. So I feel like Dogs should like, have some kind of like taxing effect, you know, like a smothering tithe or a Ristic study. Like yeah, right. You like, have to pay one for each thing, and you know, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you. 
Yeah, I was about to say, like, or like pay two mana for each artifact you control, or else he makes, makes a, treasure. Uh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. treasure. Which I mean would like obviously be worse, but like he I'm I'm sure you could tune it to be like still pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. Just like like bring in more of the extortionist side of that where like you're actually making your opponents pay rather than you just gaining from it now 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 we are getting into a bit of uh you know r yeah, slash yeah, yeah. custom magic tier so uh <laughs> unless there's you know anything else to to say here i think we Dude, should uh, I just, move on i just want to small tangent not actual tangent just a comment that's my favorite um series of posts on magic the shit posting or Magic of the Circle Jerking, rather, the yeah. subreddit, is the uh, bottom five custom magics post of the week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's so good. Yikes. Yikes. That um, is the first thing I'm looking at after we film this. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, they're, they're, this, this guy's been compiling them, like, every week for, it's like, like the past year, and they're all just so good. Nice. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, read one, you get the next one. Yeah, sure. Um, so this is actually a pretty meaty one, and I'm pretty happy to uh, go into this one a bit, but um, the question is, the proliferation of free spells in CDH with C20, and, I mean, sort of in the last year or so as well, with, you know, like, forces of negation and all that stuff, um, begs the question, how do you play around free spells? Do I snap off main phase spot removal to clear the board of commanders before attempting to combo off in fear of swat and... and Fierce of Will of the Nine as uh, Fierce Guardianship. Uh, that's by Bust Rod. Um, interesting question, right? Um, it like it's certainly a change to the game that hasn't really historically been an issue. I mean, like I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the feeling of most people historically in CDH towards stuff like Path of Negation or Force Will is sort of just like. Unless it's very, very telegraphed, it's just really like if they have it, they have it. I don't. I think yes and no. I think a lot of like there's a there's definitely enough free interaction at this point where it really just to me it kind of boils down to if everyone is open with a full grip of seven, right? It's what different counter spells can stop my combo. You know, if let's say I'm doing something like an Adnos, well, basically every every counter spell in the format stops that card, so. You know, given that scenario, you know, how, how many different counter spells are people running? Um, how many cards do they have in hand? How much mana do they have open? They basically have access to everything. Probably not the best time to combo. But, you know, as you start narrowing things down, it's like, well, they don't have two blue. So they can't hold up. You know, they're not they're not able to use a counter spell. If I'm trying to cast my commander like a, a Gitrog monster, you know, great counter spell target. Um, they don't have access to mana drain. They don't have access to counter spell. Um, maybe they have a delay and force of will. Those are the only two options. Right, so like to me, the free counter spells it just whittling down. Right, if they don't have access to mana, yeah, then you're just like, whittling down the amount of the counter spells, and so it becomes. When does it cross the acceptable acceptable but, uh, risk tolerance but for like, going for it? But what I'm saying is like historically, before the like mass printing of more of the free counter spells, uh, like SWAT, like Fierce uh, Guardianship, like Force of Negation, uh, when it was only really like Force of Will, Pack Negation. Potentially misdirection. Not a lot of people play misdirection even now. Um, damn shame. Damn shame. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> I mean, agree, but I'm going to finish this point. Um, <laughs> I I feel like at the time before all of these new cards were printed, it like a lot of the idea behind like casting like a game ending spell was 
you you were just accepting that them having a force will or pack negation was just a risk if like it wasn't like heavily telegraphed beforehand right i mean a lot of like, times it, when people combo they're 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 never a hundred percent safe yeah right but like so but, it's just so like risk tolerance right it's, yeah, so, so like, but like the, whole, the, whole thing was, the whole thing was always like oh you have like one blue open well that means you can have like swan song dispel fluster storm and then of course like you can also have the fact of negation of force of will but i'm not going to count those because like you would just have them anyway and like it like you holding up a blue isn't really gonna like See, telegraph I, those right i, I don't like, i don't think that's that's like necessarily completely true because there are times when your your level of risk tolerance does not you know you, ha, playing around force of will or package negation are things that you know you you can do so you're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna just jam into a potential force of will or pact of negation, right? Like that, I feel like that's that's kind of always been the case, depending on circumstances. I mean, many times it is if they have it, they have it. But no, yeah, you know, it's not a like, universal truth that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but that that's sort of what I'm saying is like, like outside of obvious telegraphing, the historical mindset has always been like, if they have it, they have it. Obviously, like there's ways that you can tell if somebody's telegraphed force of will, i.e. Everybody before them taps out. They're the last person in the line. They also tap out. It's like, hey, like, yes, they could be risking it, but there's a real chance that they, like, had the force of will and they felt safe because they had it. But, I, like, I think that maybe the, the mindset of some people, although I don't think, I don't agree that that's necessarily a universal, you know, historic mindset, even before the printing of newer cards. Because if you were in a dominating board position, right, and let's say you're able to, you know, draw a bunch of cards um, and you basically got the, the game unlocked, you've got, like, a, you just, like, you know, Narset or, or you know, Notion Thief or something, and your opponents basically have no cards in hand, and you can go for it right now, but, you know, it's like, do you? If you're like, well, I can afford to play around a Force of Will or, or some free counter magic um, if I wait it next turn and then, you know, draw some interaction myself. So, like, in those kinds of cases, people will will take the the route because they can afford to play around it. But if, you're, if you've got a very narrow window, right, you you just you you go for yeah, it if there's sure. if there is your your risk tolerance is, is I, uh, low. I guess the point was just that like historically, it's more been the case that you just sort of accept free counter magic as like something that you might just run into but don't necessarily like fully taking into account in calculations. Whereas now it's more of like a very real consideration of like yeah they're running like five cards that could stop me off of zero mana here. I actually have to like make these considerations and be like okay like can i afford to play around this stuff if i can't afford to play around this stuff do i even go for it here all that like you know that mindset yeah i think the important thing with um with the newer counter magic is like ultimately there's only one free you know counter spell that got added um well i guess oh, sorry i guess no there's two because of uh yeah the 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 fierce guardianship but like you know swat and um a lot of these things is they're not really counter spells, right? They're they're cards that prevent you know, like encounter your counter spells. Well, if it comes I mean, down unless, to it, unless you're playing Peer into the Abyss, but you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're playing Peer into the Abyss, That's or you're a hard counter, right? You're, you're about to, to like play some aura or something that targets whatever, yeah, sure. But you know, for your dude, if you're just doing some, crowd, not a great card, <laughs> just it just dude, Oblivion Crowd just gets worse and worse every set. How does it feel? I mean, that card is is very narrow in terms of you know being mainly used for uh for like cleanup step wins or or stuff so you know most of the time don't even really notice it but you know that 
it's, it's, it, it hurts a bit. It hurts a bit. Um, yeah. So, so what I was saying was like the, 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 the counter spells aspect is, it factors in a bit, but I think a lot of it too, is just the fact that you've got to be aware that your, your protection, it just gets a lot less effective, right? Cause in the past it would be something like, you know, Oh, I've got my, um, my win. I'm going to go for it. And you know, if they have a force of will, I have this one piece of counter backup. Right. So they have yeah, to have yeah. exactly force of will. And then if they do, um, you know, I've got, I've got my counter backup or if someone, you know, has one bit of open mana, you know, it's like, okay, well I can, you know, I can counter this and I'm not really, uh, and I'm like in the clear. Whereas with all the, the, you know, swats and stuff like that, it just becomes way worse. Like if you're trying to resolve a creature for the win, right. You're, you're only worried about, yeah, you're not worried about, um, force of negation or, or fierce guardianship but all of these things they you know swat guardianship uh force of negation misdirection of people run it like these are these are all great at stopping your protection and i think that's one of the the big things um is is not just you know whether or not they have the stop it's whether or not your protection is enough to get you there yeah um morgan i know you really sort of had something to say on this topic anything to add to that um, I, I mean, I think that there is, it's certain like, it's certainly not just pretend they don't have it, um, barring it being telegraphed. I think that, um, in like the, the tricky evaluation is always, you know, what are the odds that someone has the free counter magic? So, you know, maybe I want to try and find a piece of protection or just wait until I have mana to cast my protection. Um, but I think that practically it does often wind up becoming, assume they don't have it because like when you're presented with a window where everyone's tapped out, right? Let's pretend that everyone's tapped out, you know, and there's like the expected value of counter spells that are available is like 0.5 and you have a piece of protection that next turn you'll be able to to cast along with your win attempt like what if next turn there's a total of three blue mana untapped you know the odds that there's 1.5 pieces of interaction being presented are very very high assuming you're playing against decks that have a decent amount of interaction so like i think that it's often like you should evaluate each situation and you may find like oh i think that that person's actually going to tap out again because you know they want to curve you know the like it's the cast player and they just tapped out for something on three and it's like well i think they're going to want to cast cast next turn or whatever it is so like there are times where you can sort of do an evaluation and think that there isn't likely to be extra interaction on the next turn or maybe you think someone's going to try and go off and that might eat some interaction, whatever. But, like, you definitely... You can... You know, if you play around everything, you'll never win. Um, but... You should just be aware of, like... It's still probably the best opportunity to go off is when your opponents are tapped out. Yeah. And it's likely that if you give them a turn cycle they like there will be one more more than however much interaction you can present by giving a turn cycle available that wasn't available then yeah i f I feel like the new printing of free counter spells is really more along those lines of like 
it it just it increases the gray area of like estimating whether or not like you can go off that turn well like it, it just makes like free like people with no mana like more of a factor in uh considering like they have like oh, okay like like three blue total uh open across the entire table um but now like you're also just taking into account like way more because of the free potential counter magic That being said, I did sort of want to touch on, like, the second part of this question. Asking about the, do I snap off main phase spot removal to clear the board of commanders before attempting to combo off? Is if you th- can. If you can, yes. But also, like, I, I think this touches on something that, like, I don't know. I've been a big proponent of um, for a while. Uh, like, probably for, like, years at this point. But, like, it, it's sort of like a quiet play optimization that it, I'm... I haven't seen a whole lot of people actually uh, commit to or perform, um, which is the idea of like before your turn or if you can afford to move through phases on your turn, um, spending removal on somebody's mana rocks or dorks uh, before going for a combo to limit their mana. Say somebody's like only source of blue mana when you're untapping or going through phases is like a Felwar stone or a mana rock. Um, like snapping off a nature's claim on that mana rock to empty their mana before going through has always been sort of like something that I think is like very important to keep in mind as a play. To oh, use, I think that's like, your I, I totally on. agree with you. And yeah, one thing absolutely. I want to one thing I've I've no, I've gotten mad at people when I see them play, um, you know, and and I try to do this myself is to counter that is is proper tapping yeah right if you can yeah. if, i see so many people leave up like you know felwar stones or or birds of paradise or you know like a uh, fintorn elves or something when if you're Especially, not going to go to combat if you're not going to use it then you should be leaving up a land and tapping that creature instead especially well, i mean the, the argument is typically with something like felwar stone or birds of paradise like what would they you rather have more a color options? Birds of Paradise or Tropical And, and it right? presents like, more in the case of like, oh, I'm getting wheeled. Well, I'd rather have the mana open for like a vampire tutor or like something. Or I'd like I'd like to be able to represent like a silence or a removal spell a, as well. A as lot a of times right? a lot of times it's it's you've got to make the, the decision between that and um Yeah, and, but and I, the removal. Right? Like so, okay, there, so, there yeah. is there is mana episode when? Yeah. <laughs> but sort of what I was getting at with um sort of bring that to attention is that like i think it's uh like part of that equation now is like in in that style of optimizing play and thinking about um alternate uses for your removal and being like okay like i can use this to help force through my combo rather than just like removing mana sources now um a, a very real thing to think about when you're thinking about i have extra removal in my hand i have the mana to use it and I want to go for a combo, can I use this productively to try to force through a combo, is now, like, looking at removing commanders before going Although off. You need, yeah. to be, you need to be cautious with SWAT, right? Because you never, you're not taking them off of SWAT. All you're doing is if it's, like, a spot removal thing, like Abrupt Decay or something, right, on, on their, let's say, Vile Smasher. I mean, if, you're, if you're, you're gonna, they're just going to SWAT place, it sure. to something else, right? And, and, and well, you, risk, I mean, you risk but, it getting SWATed to your own stuff. Is, sure, but, like, yeah, if you're going to try is, obviously. if you're going to try and resolve Animate Dead on your Razaketh, like, yeah. and you SWAT, the, and, you, and you decay their commander, and they SWAT it, you know, that's not 
Especially like doing yeah, a if, if you, I'm more thinking like if you carefully work out your mana for your combo turn and then they swat it and you know take away end your step, sure. Soul but ring, I'm, yeah. I'm saying I'm I'm saying like obviously you can think around that as well if you think they specifically have SWAT, but like if you have it if you have the extra mana and the extra removal spell during your combo turn, you can just do it in a main phase, right? Sure. But yeah. what what I'm saying is like I don't think I don't think this is going to be a situation that comes up a super large percentage of the time, but I think it's definitely something that, like, in the same vein as I'm going to consider burning removal spell to basically trade mana down with one of my opponents in order to take them off of interaction, I think there's a very similar line of thinking that you should probably be thinking through in your mind when you have a removal spell in your hand and a potential combo turn, where now it's also correct to think about removing commanders in order to take them off of SWAT and Force of Will. Or uh, fierce guardianship, and also I guess technically deadly relic, even though it seems like the, I'm the only person that plays that card. <laughs> yeah, fair. you might just be the only person. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, does anybody else play deadly relic? PM me. Let me know. <laughs> At me in the Discord. I've, uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen deadly relics in the wild. Um, I think okay. one just one last point oh, to this is. Um, it's definitely easy with uh, Thrasios and Timna to be landing your commanders and kind of having the eternal bluff of either a Fierce or a SWAT, but if you are on the Kess or like a higher CMC commander like Kenrith, trying to be as proactive as possible but landing your commanders does um, provide you the benefit um, and kind of the opposite side of this argument as representing the bluff. Like if, yeah, you, if, you're, yeah, if, you, if you expect your opponents are counting definitely for Definitely a reasonable bluff to just... Yeah, play your commander. <laughs> it's definitely a reasonable bluff to just slam Kess on three, just confidently play it, and then... Oh, shit, is that the Fierce Guardianship? God. Maybe yeah. not if your opponents have very visible Gilded Drakes. You know. That's the confidence of a man with a free counterspell. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's why you... You bluff the fierce guardianship, but you actually have the SWAT for the Gilded Drake. Yeah, <laughs> so you just redirect the Gilded Drake. Good stuff. Um. Okay. Uh, Morgan, you want to get the uh, next question? Sure. Um. This question is: How do you count the cards involved in a combo, and what counts as a prerequisite? As an example. Uh, Ice Concept or Dramatic Reversal is generally called a two-card combo, but you need non-land mana sources. Um, are those part of the combo? Are those a prerequisite? Um, and this is definitely this is definitely an interesting discussion. You know, we've we brought it up. And this is by uh, this, sorry, this yeah, this is by Noah from, the Shoeman. Yeah. Um, we've touched on this a few times before. Uh, I think one of them was in the context of like hulk and hulk packages in particular which were yeah yeah like which is it's it's less of a direct like comparison than isochron scepter because like you don't need stuff like in play you don't have to have like drawn into things and then played them before you do isochron scepter stuff but like it's still like a deck building cost yeah i think i think that they're like it is still an important thing to be counting how many how many cards a combo requires in terms of deck building not just um, yeah not just actually finding the pieces. I mean, I think this can also kind of be extended beyond just combo cards. Um, and, and something that I'm sure you guys have all thought about for your decks, and, and I'll talk about it from my experience of, of Gitrog, right? When you, how many, how many different slots in your deck 
you know, are de- dedicated to, you know, different purposes. Because the thing with tutors is that because a lot of, like, let's say just use a creature tutor, not even like, you know, just demonic tutor. If you put a, uh, let's say your deck normally only has Nature's Claim, um, Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy or something. But then you've got three ways to remove um, artifacts or enchantments, and those are only accessible um, through tutoring via your, you know, demonic tutor. Um, so if you've got uh, demonic tutor, Imperial Seal, Vamp, um, let's say you draw the line there, you've got six, you know, artifact and chain removal. Now, if you throw in one extra card into your deck, let's say a Caustic Caterpillar, now you've got a Caustic Caterpillar, your Green Sun Zenith, Finale, Worldly Tutor, uh, Survival of the Fittest, like all these creature tutors are now also artifact and enchantment removal. So you've got this kind of thing where you're the way you count cards and, and different slots and purposes is heavily affected by the card type and its accessibility via tutors. Um, so I know this is this is kind of like a bit of a, a, a tangent um, to specifically counting combos, but I just thought it was interesting um, to maybe discuss that too in terms of uh, deck building and, and considering, you know, cards and, and, you know, counting slots and stuff like that. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that for something like Isorev, I would say that, assuming you're, like, if we're talking about it in the context of Thrasios here, where you just have to make colorless mana, I would certainly consider it a two-card combo, and then I would note that there's a prerequisite. But it, you know, it gets a little bit hazy, like, what if we're doing something with, like, Intruder Alarm, and we have to cast, like, I don't know, we're doing Shrieking Drake Intruder Alarm for some reason like <laughs> i don't know but yeah I, I can't think of a deck that would yeah. assemble something like that but um like okay now we need something that taps for blue mana and something that taps to net us mana okay well how many you know how many creatures that tap for blue mana are you running um yeah i think one of the interesting ones is in Kinnon, like is freed from the real a one card combo with the commander or two card combo with the commander because all you need is a creature that can tap for blue. Sure. I think in the case but, of like extreme commander synergy, where like you are dedicating a ton of slots, like mana dorks, to just like generic value, possibly. Um, actually, not even just cards that synergize with your commander. Cards that synergize with your strategy, they can be commander centric strategies or not. Doesn't matter. But at that point, I would count kind of top down where. I would think of the cards that aren't like the amount of cards you'd have to include where it's kind of those cards enable the combo. Uh, maybe I phrase if, that kind if of If you'd be running that card anyway, like, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I, I think in get right? Like there's been iterations of, you know, quote unquote, win con builds and win con list builds. So the current iteration of get wins with, um, finale of devastation and death right shaman like you can do you can do those kinds of loops there where you're you're burning people out um, with death right shaman activations these are both cards that would be running that the deck would be running anyway so i don't count those as combo pieces well but whereas, the, this is the, those also aren't cards you need to find yeah, to set I, up your combo like but okay, I, what I was gonna say for i guess i guess with with like birds of paradise um and and these kinds of cards like if let's say there's um and I guess it does get into a bit of a gray area because there's there's if there's not enough of the cards, but like so you're you're gonna be running birds, 
anyway, right? And and you're going to be running a certain amount of of creatures that that you know satisfy that uh, taps for a blue criteria. But and you're, and you're also running all, all kinds of great creature tutors, right? Like you're going to run um, green suns and and blah blah blah. So you know you you can count those as cards you'd be running anyway. And if it's above a certain point, let's say you know I'm just pulling this number out of my butt. But if you let's say you had 15 cards that satisfied the, that condition. I don't think I'd count that as a. I think I'd count it as a one card combo with Free so, from the Real because there's just such a high density of versions of that effect. But if you have to go out of your way to put extra versions of that effect into the deck, um, or there's just not a lot, then I'd I'd start leaning more towards calling those combo cards. So I would say I actually sort of want to tack onto that a bit because um, sort of a bit of an expand bit of an expansion on that um, is that. Uh, I agree that I think it's sort of related to how many cards you're playing in the deck anyway, um, and what your likeliness to draw to them is, um, or have them on hand when you're ready to go by drawing the, like, the real combo piece. Um, for context, uh, when building Hackball and when optimizing it and trying to get the right number of hacks, because it it's really the first time that I've had to... and potentially the only time that I have to deal with this um, in my, uh, you know, like process of building a deck is in Hackball, there are a lot of color hacks in the format, right? There are, yeah. I th- think, like over 15 functional color hacks. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, like th- there's like a lot, like there's there's more color hacks, realistically, I think, than you would want to play in a deck. So you're looking at paring down to like the best color hacks, but there's still a combo piece, right? So um, for me, like we, we did some of the math and I think it came out to like the optimal number that you like the optimal type or number of like one type of effect that you would want to be able to consistently draw it within your first two sevens. So your first two uh, mulligans or hands um, is around 15 of a single card effect. Um, I think including tutors for it. Um, but so what, is, what is con- sorry? What does consistently mean in this? Uh, yeah, that's the one thing we, I have with hypergeometric distribution calculations, so right? It's like often the, you're just setting an arbitrary threshold. Yeah, but the so the hypergeometric distribution for this, I think, was um, with 15 uh, copies of any of effect of any effect in a 90 card 99 card deck format. In the first two seven mulligans, I believe you had over like over 90% or 95% to have it in your opening hand, to have at least one copy of that effect in your opening hand. Or like opening two hands, sorry. But I mean, obviously, that's way too many, right? Like, Yeah, yeah that but, does kind of seem overkill. But like, yeah, but like what I'm saying is like, at a certain point where you're playing enough cards of a certain effect, i.e. hacks in Momir or green creatures in Momir or dorks that produce blue mana in Kinnon or etc. etc. Et part of the combo. Discard outlets in uh I'm assuming like discard outlets and Gitrog as well. Like obviously yeah. you don't you don't you're not at that point right now, but like realistically Gitrog could get to the point where you just always have a discard outlet in your opening hand, right? Yeah, um, there's there's ones that we don't run, but yeah. we have so many tutors that but, it's it's yeah. almost I, never an issue. I yeah. think I think realistically at a certain point, um, when you can consistently count on having a copy of a certain effect in your opening hand, 
you can almost sort of stop counting it as a combo piece. Um, I realistically, you still want to call it a two card combo if you have to find one of those effects. But realistically, in the process of most games, um, where you yeah. can consistently have half the combo on tap, consistently access and consistently accessible, you can stop calling that a combo piece and call it more of like a one card combo rather than a two card combo where you're playing a lot of the second effect. I definitely agree. It's like okay, one so thing, a card that you can one thing that's kind of be confident that you'll have access to it in a reasonable set of circumstances. And like, if your deck is a turbo combo deck and like you need to get it on the mulligan, that you do have to have like that the proper distribution. But if it's like you're on Timna and you're valuing, like I could reasonably see that number being lower because it satisfies like the reasonable expectation to have have access to it consistently. I think one thing that's interesting about the way about this question and because I, I agree with Reed, right? Like this is this is about talking about um, if a card is a one card or a two card combo, right? But in terms of how do you count combo cards, you can be you can talk about it like that or you can talk about in terms of deck slots, because I think, Reed, you'd agree that you would count all of those hacks as combo card slots in. Yeah, so Momir. specifically, yes. So the interesting thing is like I. <laughs> I know it's gonna sound like I'm shit like hackball, but I think I I'm legitimately just talking about hackball in this context because I think it's a very applicable deck building strategy just because of the weirdly how many cards of each piece of the combo you can play. Stop shilling, not shilling hackball, <laughs> and get to it. <laughs> but but so like re- like really, it's it's really interesting because I would count all the hacks as combo pieces because they're in- not necessarily. Like cards you'd want to run anyway. They, yeah. they do have applications, obviously, outside of the combo turn. You're not unhappy to draw into a glimpse of nature on a non-combo turn. You can still do things with that. The hacks can still technically serve a function outside of the combo turn. I still count those combo cards. The interesting thing, though, is that every green creature in the deck is also technically a combo piece because your combo is green creature plus hack plus momir, right? Yeah. And yet, I like a lot of them. I would not count as combo pieces because you're playing them anyway, right? So it sort of counts. Yeah. It sort of goes back to what Lyndon was saying earlier, where there are a lot of cards where even if you have to find them and get them into your opening hand, if you're playing a lot of them and you would be playing all of those cards anyway, they're not really counted as combo slots, even in deck building. One thing that's that's kind of interesting that I think, um, like, may just be sort of uh an area where people are inconsistent is that like we i think that counting combo cards in terms of deck building also has a tendency to bleed over in terms of like in when counting them in terms of assembly so like as an example you know the hacks are certainly combo cards when you're building your deck like they're they're combo slots yes but then you're saying you know, if you have enough of them, you might not consider them a combo piece, but we're nowhere near that number. So there's certainly like you have to find them as a combo piece to assemble your combo. But that deck is running like a half dozen, right? If I'm, oh, no, I'm not exactly. Uh, historically, Hackball has run like 13 hacks. Wait, what? Yes. 
Not kidding. Okay, well, yes. well let's... <laughs> but you're also, are you I mean, I guess that, that actually... Plus, yeah, plus well, like, wait, wait, so like when you say 13 hacks, I'm not counting tutors that find hacks. Uh, I'm talking about hacks. The only... The only tutor I'm including, I mean, I'm including mystical tutor and uh, merchant school. I think I think there were eleven true hacks the deck, not counting tutors. Um, but okay, well, but anyway, in, anyways, in, in more, I okay to to give you a better base. This, act, no, no, this actually helps on. make my point. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. This actually helps me make my point better. <laughs> Those are a combo piece. Yes, but like if we look at a deck like uh, Tassiger. That deck is actually only running like eight or nine cards that produce green or blue mana and don't hurt you. And yeah. you need one of those if Isochron Scepter is to be a win condition. Yeah, yeah, true. And yet, I don't think people would necessarily like count that as a three card combo because obviously you're like, you're not like, oh, Arcane Signet is a combo slot when you're putting your Tassiger deck together. Right, like your combo slots are stuff like Seasons Past, Isochron Scepter, Dramatic Reversal. Um, Seasons Past, Tassiger. Beast but within. Here is this. <laughs> yeah, Beast back. within Reality yeah. Shift, exactly. Yeah. Um, but like those, arguably, right? If we're counting a hack and hackball as a combo piece when you're assembling the combo, I mean, arguably, the rocks are actually even more. Like are actually harder to find in Tassiger than the, or like you're less likely to have them when you need them in Tassiger than the hacks are in Hackball. Sure. Which like I think I is think something a maybe that, more up to date example would be like Food Chain, where you have these like very redundant win conditions, like or just Twister Loops in general, where like you have these redundant combos like Swan Song, <laughs> and like. Where, like, if you do ultimately get to the point where you exile enough of them, uh, you can't win, but you aren't actually dedicating them to counter spell slots. Or, sorry, to combo slots, because they are just cards like Swan Song. Yeah, I yeah, think what we're sure. learning from this conversation is that this is a, a question that has two different answers in terms of, you know, deck building and uh, in-game. What, what are combo cards? And how many, you know, is and, it a two-card versus one-card combo? And that it's hard to kind of pin down, especially when, when approaching it from, from both angles. There's also the whole, like, there has to be a distinction made between, like, how should you count combo cards and how do people count combo cards, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. There, there's a discussion to be had about, like, how should we be counting combo cards and, like we should probably be putting qualifiers on combos being like hey this is a two card combo but you need to play x number of dead slots in your deck in order to enable it or this is a two card combo but there's an x percent like fail rate on it right yeah what you'd probably what you probably want to say is with your versus, combos you'd want to count how accessible the cards are how many dead slots it takes up yeah um but that's versus that, that kind of thing, that's yeah. versus like how we actually count combo slots which is yeah everything sort of has an asterisk on it but we're just gonna call all of it two card combos because they're two card combos <laughs> right <laughs> yeah combo slots versus like combo requirements where yeah. like pretty I mean, much yeah, all the rest of the cards in your deck end up ultimately becoming a combo requirement because you need to be able to protect your combo enable it by having <laughs> mana <laughs> Dude, force of will is the most powerful combo card in the format <laughs> i think i think it is also like an interesting 
one of the aspects that defines a combo piece is like how likely people are to view it as a combo piece in terms of the difficulty of actually assembling the combo. Like going back to the Tassiger example, eight, I think it's eight um, sources that make blue or green and don't hurt you for the Escron Scepter combo versus like, I think now it's down, but historically some Gitrog decks have been on like, what, six discard outlets or did, what, did, did it max uh, out of five? If, if we don't count Scourge Familiar, uh, it's <laughs> always been uh, Putridimp, Wild Mongrel, uh, Noose Constrictor, Chains, uh, Oblivion Crown. So I mean, you had Dragoon in your deck at one point. I was testing Dragoon over a. Uh, oh, it was over okay. something else. So, so okay. six, so, okay, six five. historically five now in the current form. I mean, I don't know how deep ancient history you want to get with Scourge Familiar, but I mean, like that's the six. But but you don't you you have five of these, right? And honestly, for <laughs> okay. a while, I tested I tested cutting um, uh, cutting one of the green outlets. But uh, my my point yes. is is that like certainly the discard outlet is a combo piece in Gitrog, no matter, really no matter how much redundancy you have for it. Yeah, I mean, it's I very that, redundant, especially with all the tutors, right? Like, yeah, yeah there's, it's like probably more than Hackball. But you still Yes, but, to, but the, point, yeah. the point I'm trying to make, yeah. the point I'm trying to make is that like, the You always fact, count that as a combo piece, yeah. And one of the factors there is the fact that in people's minds, it is a combo piece. Like if you cast it on, if you cast it without the Gitrog monster in play, it might still get countered. It might eat removal. It might, like, yeah, all yeah. of these things will happen, which is, like, very unlikely to happen. Like, you know, maybe someone will have, like, the biggest heads-up play ever, and they'll be like, I think he's going for Scepter, and they'll just, like, decay your Arcane Signet. But, like, <laughs> probably not. Right? Yeah. It's... I, I definitely sort of agree with that. It's, like, it's... Um how much they actually count as combo pieces but i think like that still ties back to what noobs were talking about before that which is like like a lot of like what goes into counting a card as a combo piece or not also just like depends on how playable it is outside of like being a combo piece right which i i think is also like very related to how how much visibility it gets as being a combo piece versus just a card that you play in your deck Is tainted pack yeah. food chain a two yeah. card combo? <laughs> I, man, people don't counter tainted pack through consult and food chain enough. I'm gonna put that out there. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's yeah, that's it's dumb. that's a tough one. I mean, I you should definitely do it like and if they do it end step when they're low on mana. But like if you think they're just gonna tainted pack for food chain, assuming you're not like looking at flusterstorm or dispel. I don't know. I, oh, there's, like, they're, okay, they're specifically on the first sliver, not on uh, like a, like a <laughs> pro- proper yeah. outlet. Yeah. So I've got a question. I've got a question for you guys in terms of you know we were counting cards as combo or not. How how would you classify Golgari Grave Troll and Gitrog? That's a combo piece. In in terms of deck building, it's definitely a combo piece. It's not a combo piece in terms of assembling your combo. So it's weird. It's kind of weird. Um, you're putting it in there as a specific tutor for one of your combo pieces, and you only run it. You wouldn't like. I mean, people run used to run um, Sylvan Scrying, right? Would you count Sylvan's because it it basically it's 
you, you kind of think of it like a better Sylvan Scrying. Because Sylvan Scrying does have, um, you know, some utility in being able to find, um, I guess, well, like Cavern of Souls or something. But really, what, what you want is Golgari Grave Troll then turns like, a bunch of your other creature tutors into uh, Dakmore tutors. Yeah, sure. I Like, it still counts as a combo piece, though, right? Like, so it's, it's... Would you count Sylvan Scrying as a combo piece? That's... Uh, yeah, it would really question. depend on how much utility I was yeah, getting out of but it. But like to a degree, yeah. Like I, I would have counted like in the flash meta, I count like Summoner's Pact as a combo piece, right? Sure. I feel like okay, I feel yeah. like we should use the term combo slot when we're talking about deck building and piece more for like actually assembling. For sure. It. It's a it's a slot dedicated to the combo. <laughs> yeah. Um Okay, that's a lot of conversation on this. It's uh, a huge amount of conversation. Yeah. Thanks for taking for having to come up with topics. It's a huge amount of conversation to come back to. You know, it's kind of fuzzy and hard to define, yeah. and it might depend yeah, I don't on. I feel the like we arrived on anything. I feel like we're. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Fair, though, yeah. We like we never arrive on points for like half of our discussions, and apparently people still appreciate the discussion <laughs> without the points. Yeah. So you know, Dude, what? It's, it's the classic cop out of um. It just it was thought it was a thought exercise, thought provoking. <laughs> you know, we didn't actually yeah. provide any answers, but you know. We made I, you think. I, think I have, I have to say, <laughs> I, I posted it. I posted it on our Discord, but someone in the YouTube comments of one of our, oh, I think it was of our Divine Intervention video, said, "I'd listen to you guys argue about anything. No complaints here." Which honestly, like, might be the nicest thing anyone's yeah. ever said. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I count so... Goto as a zero card combo. Who counts Goto as a one card combo? Raise your hand. <laughs> Choose a side. Uh, I count it as uh, an on average six card combo because that's yeah, how many cards yeah. you need to assemble your eleven mana. And, like each mountain is just a part of the combo, right? True. Whoa, dude. I'm my mind is being blown right now. Uh, in fact, each treasure Doxide Exorcius makes is <laughs> a, a part of the combo. Zombies yeah. into Goto. Yes. Okay. So next up. Uh, Next question is brought is uh, is from patron uh, Tegan, and Tegan asks: Is MTG a pay-to-win game? Uh, with the spiking uh, prices of cards and the way Watsy handles reprints by dancing around the secondary market, uh, is the game moving towards a point where it's not economically feasible for new players to get into the game and compete with established players? Are we at that point? Um, yeah, and, and that's right. And, and she also says uh, this this question applies to all formats, not just unsanctioned ones where proxies are relatively accepted. So this is like we're gonna have to break this okay. question yeah. down. Yeah, so but I, wait, I would say, hang on a uh, second before before we start. This is this was actually I it was a video about a totally different game, but asking the same question, and they made a really good point that I think is important, which is it it really doesn't make sense to discuss pay to win as a binary really the question is is it too pay to win well, sure like obviously there are elements so, of pay to win so but i would say you know the trick is finding the balance i would say like the general historic answer for like magic as a game over its entire history is it's not exactly pay to win it's pay to play like yeah you, you have to Although that's less true than ever with arena right yeah yeah sure i just yeah. but like, okay that's there's there that's a for, entire other okay. discussion for, right? for paper magic over the entire history of its existence it has historically been considered a pay-to-play game you pay money in and then 
once you've paid that money in, you then get to play the game. And then I think the what, winning comes from putting money into the right places and like being a good player at the game in order to win. I, right? I, Reed, I don't I don't even think that's completely true because for years you'd be able to go to um like an LGS or whatever and you you get one of like their uh well like not a vent deck god they're, they're like they're like beginner like yeah, the, just the learning the rules whatever right for free intro decks yeah intro decks and and then there's also like I could go um if someone if some if some kid came up to you at an LGS and asked for you know some junk you know common or whatever that you pulled from a pack or from a draft you know are you going to say like hey, listen kid give me 25 cents for this for this bulk common or this, for this no like, you no. Sh- you shark them for their like super valuable <laughs> man yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but i'm saying like you could you could probably and I, god this actually reminds me of uh of, of uh, the format that i suggested like oh god a year ago or something where it's it's only the the it's edh but it's only cards that you you've acquired for free um like from just just going to like drafts with the cards that people leave behind or like GPs and stuff. So it's like you can build decks for free, right? And there is no actual monetary cost um, for playing Magic, you know, at your kitchen table. Or I mean, some LGSs might charge you, but you know, you, you can find people and play the game of Magic for free. Yeah, so it's say, not even completely pay to play. Sanctioned Magic was is pay to play is probably the better way. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. But uh, the kind of point I was trying to make is that a lot of people say, you know, we use the expression, you know, I want to make it so that my opponents can't play magic. Right. Um, and that's, you know, stack stacks or, or control decks and stuff. And and really, we kind of use pay, uh, play magic as a bar for a certain level of participation and kind of like win share. Right. If you you're not really playing magic, you know, or a lot of people say you're not really playing magic if you have like five percent expected win rate with a given deck right yeah like if you show up with like a standard event deck from two years ago and that's what you're entering modern tournaments with like you're not really playing magic so in the sense of you know you need to achieve a certain amount of of um win rate or or win, win shares in order to actually even be playing magic it's it's both pay to play and and pay to win so, yes, I guess, but like, so, okay, it's still talking historically, because I, I think we'll definitely get into a discussion about whether or not it's become a pay-to-win game recently, but just talking still in the broad strokes of, like, magic in general, um, I feel like it's, it's pay-to-play as, like, a natural result of how the game was executed slash is designed rather than like intended as being pay to win. You know? We're like it's 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 pay to play by necessity and pay to win by result of there being an open market for cards, right? Just sure. like the more desirable cards just end up costing more in the secondary market because of whatever, right? There's demand, like, yeah. Like, supply and demand. Like if we isolate it from the secondary market and just say everybody can only acquire cards by purchasing packs it's not really pay to win because you're gonna on average pay the same amount to play the same game right uh, that's Wait, just what? not true that's no, not true I, I think if if you can only buy packs then it's much worse it's, it's, it's much worse. actually a lot worse it's, because yeah, yeah because well. then whoever can buy 
whoever can afford to buy two cases of each standard set to make sure they open the four of mythic that they need yeah is the person who wins Sure, I was sorry. I was just I was just saying like the two cases is the bar to play. It's not a healthy bar, but I'm saying like you it's just the pay to win like, the threshold. Play where... is, you you but that's, you but that's, buy if it, everyone can get their two cases. cases. You're all playing on the same. Thing. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that's kind of back to my point where I was saying is we, we sneak in the whole pay to play, pay to win. Like we we you kind of snuck that in there, right? Where you set the bar to play as as opening two cases worth of products so that you can build competitive <laughs> sure. decks. Right. But I think I think one of the sort of like this is why I think that looking at it as two pay to win like matters because yeah. at a certain yeah. point like the numbers yeah, yeah. are relevant, right? Like let's pretend that if you spend twice as much, your deck wins two thirds of the time. Let's look at standard, because that's sure you, you suppose, gain, theoretically the cheapest format to play. You gain like a seventeen percent win rate. That's like a problem if we're talking about I don't know, a $500 deck versus an $1,000 deck. Is that a problem if we're talking about a $20 deck versus a $40 deck? Hmm. I think, yeah, I think a, a kind of thing, too, is, is you've got to look at the, the curve, right? If, if there was no kind of, like, if you, if you imagine, imagine that game of magic were, were games of magic were literally just decided by um, whoever can pull the most money out of their wallet and slap it on the table, you know? I mean, metaphorically, Shit, that's, that's how cash. magic is, right? But if there is no, if there's literally no ceiling on how much money you can pump into the game and increase your win rate, then it is that's like maximum pay to win, right? Whereas yeah. magic and and most games operate where the you know you you generally see an increase in win rate as you're putting more money in, but it it, it flattens out. Yeah, there's, right? there's diminishing returns to you can only put in as much money game. as the most expensive deck in the format like as a as an actual and and the kind of ceiling. bar i guess yeah the, the the bar for for i wouldn't it's it's almost like pay to compete is is the proper term right like because that's the way people view it is oh it's so pay to win you know it's like i can't i can't just spend a hundred dollars and have a tier one modern deck so actually right i came up with you need to pay to compete i came up with an interesting thought like just now is that like <laughs> if we like, <laughs> like but like is in a weird way isn't like isn't standard and rotating formats like aren't they more pay to win than legacy is or like legacy or modern or eternal formats where like in eternal formats you're putting money in most, and you're not getting it back well in in no 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 in eternal formats the deck being more expensive isn't necessarily an indicator of the win rate like the most expensive deck in Legacy isn't the best deck in Legacy, whereas, like, I feel like that relationship is a lot more direct in standard or rotating formats, where, like, I feel like and a majority of the time, the most expensive deck in standard is, like, the best deck or, like, like second or third best deck. So I think, but, I think, but, but like, look at mono red and mono white. Those decks have been very, very cheap in standard. And, you know, so, like, I've won, I've won tons of events. I mean, Mono White recently was, uh, I think it was several months ago, um, where it was like the they were doing just stuff with like indestructible um, creatures and and using venerated Loxodon. It was kind of like a meta buster at the time, but that deck was dirt cheap and was uh, winning. And then obviously Mono Red has been pretty strong since Dominaria. So like those decks have been very very cheap. So I guess this is also like this is again where I think bringing. Like, yes, it's 
Let, let's assume for a moment that the most expensive decks are the most winningest decks. You know, we can... That, like, they may not be. But even if they are, this is where I think, like, the numbers really matter. Because, like, it fundamentally comes down to, like, how much of an ask is it on people to win? Yeah. And, like, that's going to vary from person to person, from, like... I mean, region to region, even, you know, like I've, I've spoken with some people who live in places where, you know, the average minimum wage is, or like the minimum wage is, you know, 20% of what it is in the USA, you know, let alone somewhere like Canada. So then it's like, okay, well now how much does a standard deck cost? Does it cost like a week's take-home pay, a month's, a year's, like, and and when, you know, when does that, like, that sort of has to factor into the threshold of what it is to make something pay to win? Because uh, I didn't actually get an answer, but it seemed like if you, if the $40 deck has a 17% win rate advantage over the $20 deck, that's not really a problem, right? Because it's very realistic, at least in North America and most of Western Europe. It's very realistic for someone to pony up the $20 and compete on an even playing field. Even though that is egregiously pay-to-win, like, sort of in a context-free yeah. analysis. So, like, this is where the actual prices like really do start to matter you know you can't just look at the curve without a scale you do actually have to look at the scale in terms factor of factor in the value of your dollar <laughs> yeah exactly yeah wow <laughs> it's really the quality of the time like a, to win <laughs> because time is a payment for money <laughs> yeah and, and so so i would say i would say that like yeah legacy in particular with like any format where reserveless cards are legal is going to just become increasingly pay to win over time because a lot of the cards on the reserve list are busted and they're only getting more expensive and there's not really a solution in the foreseeable future. Yeah. Like I'm looking I mean, at the most popular legacy decks. Yeah, maybe the most expensive one, which is uh, on four cradles. No, it's it's four lands. Or sorry, uh four color oh, lands. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that's not sh showing on whatever I'm looking no, at, but, but whatever, yeah. let's say it's $5,000. Yeah. Like, the cheapest deck that shows on the first page of MTG Goldfish, which is the top 12 most popular decks in Legacy, the cheapest one is still over $2,000. So, you know, maybe this isn't a perfect representation, but it, it certainly looks like if you want a competitive Legacy deck, you are dropping thousands or at least a thousand and a substantial fraction of the next thousand on yeah it. man this it, actually it's so it's so you 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 could write a whole like you know thesis on on you know get, get a get a solid book going on just the the nuances of this because matt matt was mentioning you know or he jokingly mentioning about the the time the value of your time right imagine imagine you need to spend um to get some MMO or something, right? You need to spend, you know, hours and hours and hours grinding, right? But you didn't have to necessarily put in a penny. Is that like, 
uh, like where, where where do you where do you throw that into the equation right like if 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 someone can jump the line and spend that versus you know twenty dollars to, to save themselves ten hours is that really pay to win because you know someone else could spend the ten hours doing that how much do you value your time then there's all the the aspects yeah and then what of, if it's a hundred hours what if yes. it's, yeah and, 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 the, and the, the luckiest value, games of magic that I've consistently won were. Uh, the ones based on Wheel of Fortune that I originally bought only for $20, now it's $300. See, that's really where the skill of the game yeah. comes to effect. <laughs> See, the, the skill of the game really comes from the, from the meta meta game of specking on cards. Yeah. <laughs> and what determines, dude, why, dude, what de- what determines of, uh... your skill of the game is how well your specs perform over time. That's right. Well, See, yeah. this, I'm, I'm a big fan of... Uh, a friend, friend of the show... Uh, dave uh he he has he has this method instead of rolling dice for deciding who goes first in a game of edh what you do is you cut the deck and whoever flips the card with the highest monetary value gets to go first so i'm a big Ooh. fan of that because it, it really re- emphasizes the pay to win you know, really introduces yeah. the pay to win aspect yeah yeah <laughs> rewards you for, for buying foil versions of cards masterpieces you know it's, but see there's, and, there's and, a whole, yeah, why add, add randomness right because because if if it ends up becoming the fact that maybe the first person isn't the highest win percentage and maybe the person in the second slot is the highest win percentage, <laughs> then there's a metagame around. So you want to have the second highest average. No, 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 you don't cost. because you just want to have you just want to be sitting next oh, to the sure. person with the highest average. <laughs> so, um, so it becomes but, you roll dice to see. OK, yeah. OK, staying a little bit more on topic, I think I'm pretty comfortable in saying that all of the non-rotating formats are too pay-to-win in my book, especially the ones where reserveless cards are important, but even modern to an extent. Actually, okay, maybe I'll, I, I, I don't actually know enough about Pioneer and how much decks cost, but all of the other, uh, like modern, legacy, vintage, commander, are too pay-to-win in, in my view. And standard for me fluctuates depending on what essentially good. how much like uh you know what's the cheapest of like the top five standard decks at a time is sure. kind of what determines that for me and like i think if you can build like a deck that can completely reasonably take down large tournaments for you know maybe around 200 dollars, then that's totally fine like if there's nothing cheaper than that you know, $400. Okay. Now that's, and like, this is purely subjective on, you know, like how much I, you know, think stuff is worth, which is not, you know, any sort of, I don't have any particular insight. I am a time twister. Yeah. I don't have any particular insight that anyone else doesn't have. Let's let's have a conversation between the people of the podcast who don't own time twisters. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. you know, we just need to like the two people who talk the most. They're the ones who we just got. Who need more time on the podcast to talk just, more? You should have made better investments earlier on. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Also, Reed, you should have just been older and therefore yeah. gotten through your education yeah, faster. Yeah, yeah. privilege to, dude, privilege just, to win. I should right? have been just born earlier so I could have bought cards cheaper. Yeah. It's just, dude, age equals to skill, right? Born too too late to <laughs> just born, just, uh, born too late to buy early. RL. Born too early to <laughs> to see the RL um, abolished. Born just in time to relish in the memes. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I want to give my final spiel on this subject. Um, so I, I think I, I want to say that Magic itself is not a pay-to-win game because Magic is not just, you know, modern. It's not just Commander. It's all these formats, right? You can play Magic um, with and cards I compete own. for basically for free. So you, there's a, a great format. I don't know if... Uh, I'm sure... Dude. Uh, Reed, Reed, you Dude, watch Caleb Gannon, Penny right? Dreadful is a great Penny format. I was going there. I was going there. So Caleb Gannon is a is a YouTuber who uh, magic YouTuber who's gained a lot of popularity um, over the past, I guess, year, and he's been playing Penny Dreadful, um, which is like a community run format on uh, MTGO where the it's all cards that cost like under 0. you know 0.01 ticks or whatever. i think it's 0. 0.02 was okay. under 0.02 um, was the so way. the format is constantly rotating based on you know if cards were doing well last season you uh, know they're okay. probably spiking and, up yeah, in yeah, price yeah. it's and, just it self balances because all the most popular cards spike up in price and then you can't play them for the next season it, it's i but you can I also play for forever, free because yes. of of like mana yeah. traders and stuff like they let you rent these cards for free so you are literally competing at the highest level. You can play whatever meta decks you want for free, right? So if that if that's the kind of thing that exists in Magic, I mean, there's also like very cheap drafts that you can I mean, do. Popper is um, also an incredibly cheap pop, format. Like, yeah. It is endorsed by Wizards of the Coast and has like sanctioned F and M's. Yeah, so you it. can play Magic, um, and and obviously once you spend money on Magic, right? If you're just playing Magic at your kitchen table with cards you have, right? You uh, Against friends, you're, you're playing Magic for free. So I don't think inherently Magic is a pay-to-win game. Now, a lot of people, it's about their, whatever formats they're interested in, um, you know, is modern pay-to-win. Um, and with this, I think a lot of bias kind of comes from the people who say this. And I, I, don't, I don't get, like, too, you know, dicey here, but the the thing is, I think a lot of people, when they say that, what they mean is I is it is it pay to win to have the most competitive deck, right? It's basically people kind of griping about the most competitive deck, the tier one, tier zero decks are out of their price range. Whereas I think like I I, I am interested in in a lot of budget modern decks, like you know mono green stompy and uh, I guess actually one of the a very strong deck though that people were playing. Um, for not not for budget reasons, just because it was strong and performing well, um, also happens to be very budget. Is the mono white tokens deck in modern? Like these decks are are very cheap um, to play to play, and and you can have a, a successful win rate. Like you can have a reasonable win rate. So like ultimately, I don't think it's pay to win because you can you can play uh, competitive decks or reasonably competitive decks for cheap. But people kind of I think get caught up in you know it's pay to win to play the deck that I want to play, or it's, it's too expensive to play that deck, or it's too expensive to be the tier one all the time, or to, you know, not just have a tier one deck, but because modern and all these standard formats are standard legacy, blah, blah, blah. They're all rotating. What, what's the best deck, right? So if you want to like play modern and always have a tier one deck, it's going to cost a lot of money, but I, I don't think that's like necessarily a bad thing. I think that's kind of just, people getting in their own head for for uh kind of no good reason um oh, although i i will say there is one downside with uh the the finances of magic and we were talking about watsi with um or this was in the question with watsi and and uh reprints and secondary market and card spiking cards spiking and whatnot um magic cards in general not just reserve list 
magic cards in general, if you kind of like create an index fund of magic cards or like, you know, playable magic cards, so like whatever's in uh, the modern set, legacy, uh, EDH staples, these cards have all been going up in price um, for for years, like consistently growing. Like, this, out, this, as know, like out, card index. outpacing inflation growing. Yeah, like so I made an ultra budget Yisen deck maybe like two years ago or, or something. And that I was ultra budget. It was under $50 and I would try to make it as competitive as I could. Uh, I, last time I checked, it was like $170 uh, to buy that deck. So it's, it's cards are going up and staples are going up at a very, um, I mean, that that's much steeper than, you know, the average index is, is, is going, but the, the trend is true where magic staples in general are going up in price. And the way that that the growing card pool and the amount of new staples getting added to the format and and the card pool of magic in general wizards cannot uh keep pace in terms of reprints i think that's a worrying trend that no matter what you know however many master sets um they put out new cards are getting introduced that are, are going to be expensive um and then as more people are playing magic the supply is is dwindling and, and these cards are constantly increasing in price. So, you know, it, it magic getting more expensive to play um is is a bit concerning. Yeah, that um, is and, that yeah. is true. Like if there's twenty thousand cards in the card pool, even if they reprint like a thousand cards every year, that still means I mean, like obviously, you know, there's a bunch of like functional reprints and and whatever, but even if we cut that like way down, we say there's like, I don't know, 5,000 sort of playable cards in magic that aren't like, you know, put in there for draft formats or whatever. Um, cards that someone might want to buy as a single. Um, and they they reprint like somewhere, you know, 800 to a thousand of them every year. That's like five to seven years for a reprint. And then the card pool is increasing. So five years from now, maybe that number's up to 6,000. And they're still reprinting. And the reprint you know. probably won't reset the price like to because the point that lot it of was things before. Is that, like the last printing. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. What happens when magic gets cheap? People build more decks. <laughs> like It's not like, oh, wow, you know, now there's this, and, and anyone, oh, I don't need another version, another copy of, you know, this expensive staple. Like, if if overnight doubling season, you know, got reprinted to, to like, you know, so much, like people would just, who don't have doubling seasons already would buy it. And people who do would buy more to put it in a bunch of decks. That's, that's just the nature of good cards. Right. Um, and then I guess my, my final point on this is in terms of like EDH specifically, um, CEDH, obviously proxies are acceptable and, you know, you can play it online for free. So is it pay to win? Like, yes, if you want to actually own the cards, but many places don't require you to own cards um, for unsanctioned events. And then for regular EDH, uh, it's not pay to win unless you, you know, are listening to, you know, the command zone and being like, wow, I need a Vidalcan Orrery in every deck, you know. Uh, you're, <laughs> these, you, know you don't need all these expensive cards. You know, most CDH players or anyone could build um, a very, very competitive deck uh in, ter- in terms of like mid power or or something like that not not just trying to pub stomp but just you know being able to compete on that power level um for very cheap so i don't i don't think it's pay to win yeah i'm pretty sure like the two games i played with my ultra budget unesh deck back when it was still legal 
Because <laughs> Paradox like, engine at, rip. At, <laughs> for budgetary reasons and for card legality reasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like when, you know, I played it because it was like the deck I had on me and people were playing like not a, you know, I had like competitive decks and that and people were like, oh, we want to play our casual decks. Like it certainly did not feel fair against decks that were like much more expensive, probably, you know, several hundred dollars in the mid power range. And it was like, okay, this deck's $50 and... If I was going all out, this would, you know, be stomping pretty, pretty hard. So certainly, in like I said, EDH was pay to win. I was referring to the top end of the format. Yeah. Because once you start imposing sort of artificial power ceilings, uh, it becomes a lot easier to budget. I think EDH also just as a format is pretty, um, you can, it's really hard to eke out, you know, that extra two percent or five percent win rate over the pod it's just very um god what's the oh god chemistry high school chemistry like the solutions where you can keep adding like acids or, or whatever to it but it like kind of balances out whatever buffer solutions there we go um edh edh has a like a very strong buffer um in the format where you know if, if a power level gets too high people kind of it becomes like a three on one or arch enemy um so the the power level tends to be pretty you know pretty even keel for uh, a lot of things so it's kind of a special exception in terms of magic formats i think yeah is that anyway yeah. is that it for this this topic did we get through it yeah, yeah okay so then our next question uh matt you can give us one to read sure uh First, with Oubliette's recent errata due to reprint, where it now phases out the target creature rather than exiling it, will this become Seed Age viable as a way to more permanently remove commanders from play and the game? Secondly, if it does see play at casual and competitive, how likely of a ban target do you think it will be? We know that there has been a concerted effort to remove elements from the game which are deemed unfun, like tucking. Uh, so could Oubliette see a flurry of play? Um, then the banhammer. So, uh, as a and, and this question comes to us from uh, patron Ender six 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 six. So, <laughs> as context, uh, it hasn't seen the flurry of play <laughs> um, since. Yeah, because this was a yeah maybe it's slightly updated, but um, I feel like I feel like the answer to this question would have been similar, even if um. We had recorded this right at the at the errata. Like, <laughs> we had done it yeah. on time when this question was asked. <laughs> we have we, we have the experience and foresight to realize that Oubliette is even with the errata is basically just like a bunch of other cards that already exist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like the whole permanently removing commanders from play thing. I mean, there's a uh, dark seal mutation. Uh, Kenris transformation, uh, Song of the Dryads, imprisoned in the moon. Like that's nothing Never new. Never more effects that's to keep them new. from coming down in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the advantage, like the one thing Ubiet has over those, is that you can't get your commander back immediately. Like, but th- that's a pretty narrow. Like the fact that you have to wait until your next untap. Yeah, but yeah. that's like a pretty minor advantage for like uh, yeah. the fact that you don't have to, you know, recast it. Or... And so like the other thing for me is like <laughs> because I've play popper um Ubliet isn't even really good in popper. <laughs> <laughs> so like the fact that it's not even 
a good enough card to see play in the commons only format is sort of telling well, to but, me okay that is not fair because in the legacy light format <laughs> like if it was yeah. gonna see play the only reason it's gonna see play is to remove commanders which aren't a thing in yeah Popper. sure i'm just saying, like as a general card quality thing it's not good enough aside from removing commanders and it doesn't necessarily remove commanders so much better than stuff that we already have <laughs> calling popper like i mean it's, you're obviously it's obviously true to call it the commons only format but that <laughs> that like definitely undersells just how powerful that format is. Yeah, dude, not even good enough energy. for a high power they, commander. Gush, they've been dazed, they've been get probe. <laughs> yeah, dude, dazed, get probe, basically force of will with foil. Like, that was my god. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, in terms of concerted band to remove unfun things like yeah. Commander Tuck, I think Commander Tuck was. I guess a bit of fun, but also just logistics. The technical issue, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, logistically, I think, Morgan, you can speak to this a bit more. Like, the fact that a card is a commander is an important aspect of its identity so, that needs to be yeah, tracked. There's a, there's a lot of weird shit that goes on with commander rules and, like, the physicality of the commander card in your deck being that... Basically, you just have to always... you Like, by the rules, you have to always know exactly where your commander is. Well, it's more you have to know if a given card is your commander sure. is the which which works out the same way, but just yeah. the the technical. Yeah. So like they can point at like the seventeenth card in your library and be like, "Is <laughs> yeah. that your commander?" <laughs> and you have to know. <laughs> but you can't obviously you can't be allowed to know which card is your commander when you're shuffling your library. I have presented a meta loop. I'm going to ask you to identify all the cards in your deck. <laughs> Is this one your commander? Is this one your commander? <laughs> Dude, you start you start you start giving queries like faster than they're able to answer yeah. them and you just call it judge and you're like judge, judge. judge well, he said this wasn't his commander, but it was. <laughs> My opponent's too buffered, and so, I think that's so <laughs> the I think the other thing is is um you know we've saw we saw like a very minor amount of discussion about uh Draneth Magistrate, where members of the Rules Committee and CAG did not seem to think that it was an issue at all. And apparently um, from Twitter polls, a lot of EDH players in general I, don't care about it. So. I'm and, crying. And that, that seems I'm like, crying. That seems yeah, like way more some, of an like... unfun anti-commander card than uh, yeah. than Oubliette will ever be. I can't believe Iona is banned, but Draneth is fine. Yeah, that's just so sad. <laughs> so sad. I mean, that card is way more unfun than Iona. You can't remove an Iona, right? Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. I don't think, like, yeah, I think the banning reasoning behind Iona isn't doesn't exactly line up with Draneth in that regard. It's certainly but... a comparable thing, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, I think yeah. the argument is just you can do other stuff. Yeah. You can okay. somehow distill the play the play yeah, so I think, I think we've answered this. To, um yeah sure definitely not cdh viable um like the only the only similar card that's that actually sees play is song of the dryads and that's because it's it removes like anything and that's only in decks where exactly yes um, on 
something. Yeah, most like not even that removal. Okay, wait, but I think I think what you're failing to consider is that the year is 20xx, and everyone plays Crick with task levels of efficiency, and tournaments are decided by who can oubliette their opponent's Crick. And then, in terms of ban. Obviously, the recent I don't, I don't spoiler think it's was just just spoiled the mono black card that can remove enchantments. That is true. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I actually did not expect that. That was probably one of the most surprising things. I, I know we weren't going to talk about this set yet, but no, <laughs> it's I, like I, one of the most surprising and, things. Yeah, in the set. For next <laughs> so, so clearly, clearly what, what we can take away from this is that the RC doesn't think Oubliette is a problem, but Watsi does. Right, that's yeah. <laughs> they got a print removal for Oubliette yeah. now that it phases out. <laughs> and just as a quick reminder before we move on, that if you would like to submit listener questions, either for a mailbag episode or just generally, that you can send those to us on our Discord server, which will be linked below, and that patrons get access to a special channel for priority listener questions. Well, before we close out the show, it's time for a return of everyone's favorite segment. Gut check! Gut check! Gut check! Gut check. Dude, I've, I've missed, you know, peaking all of the levels on our audience. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a favorite, favorite part of gut check. Okay, at least uh, you're aware. I, actually, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. But that's, honestly, that's waiting all this time is going to be part. great because we must just have a, a bank of a ton of quality gut oh, checks. Yeah. Gut, ready. Dude, I, I, bet, I bet this is just going to be the best gut check so far. Hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> why you gotta why you gotta set me up like that, first of all? <laughs> Second, this is so bad because I thought of this pre-show and <laughs> I've been trying to think about it throughout the episode and I have not picked an nice. answer yet. So you know this That's is, good, yeah. This That's is gonna good. be dangerous. Okay, so the gut check is what is your favorite your favorite standard set of all time or you know in, in recent memory? And this could be for whatever reason you want, not just because, you know, oh, it's a great draft format or this was great for standard. This is I'm just talking about like a standard legal set. So not like Modern Horizons or, you know, fucking some double master or something. This is about a standard legal set. um, And for whatever reason, you like a block or is it just sets? Sure. Sure. You can do a block. Uh, block. Okay, And then, then. We'll have to cut a lot of this yeah. time as we all like ponder deeply. <laughs> I think I think I, I think I got mine. <laughs> I think I know. I think I've actually known for a while. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm gonna have I'm trouble with the reasoning of this, but my favorite standard legal set of all time, I think, was War of War of the Spark, strictly based on uh, your card, love of, fr- of my free love. fairy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, just like uh, I think the cards are. I think they're very fresh compared to. In comparison to like sets before, and I was very happy to see like I was excited. I think this is one of the sets with the, like the most exciting spoiler seasons, and I've I've kind of been living off that hype for a while. <laughs> like all of these cards, I think are really awesome and like power wise, and are also very interesting power wise. They're not just generically powerful, except like obviously for Nissa and like and then <laughs> Teferi. <laughs> but, <laughs> Narset, you know, like we got Bolus, Bolus is well, Narset's like, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, arbitrary reasoning that's part of the go check. Um, Hmm. I so 
with the context that I don't play a huge amount of standard and historically haven't played a huge amount of standard, um, I really enjoyed the Shadows of Rannistrad block slash Eldritch Moon block. Not from like a f- flavor perspective or anything, but like the cards and like decks that were good when that set was in rotation, I just found very appealing. So I want to, um, before I'm going to give my answer, I guess, after Morgan, but I kind of want to jump in because I definitely considered giving that as an yeah. answer because like sentimentally, that was the first set I went for a pre-release for. Um, and I just really like, I vibe with the themes of what's going on there and, you know, pretty hyped for, I guess we're, they, get, they announced that we're going back to Innistrad again next year, right? Are we? That's pretty cool. I think so. Yeah, like the, I don't think it was the actual set names, but it's like a two set thing that they they said like Innistrad vampires, Innistrad werewolves was uh, was spoiled yeah. Um, yeah, cool. on their plan. So I, that, that could just be code names, but yeah, interesting. But yeah, I thought about giving that as an answer. I got, Morgan, do you want to go or do you want sure? Me to go? I, I can go. Um, I yeah. definitely, I I like. One of my favorite sort of sets and blocks is um, Alara block. I think it had like. A lot of flavor. It was like a really interesting world with the whole like being split into the shards. Um, but and like I've, I've done like the the throwback drafts on Magic Online a decent amount, and those were a lot of fun. But I think if I'm gonna say like a set that I was actually playing Magic when it came out, uh, I'd have to say Dominaria. Like it, I think it hit a good sweet spot in terms of power level. Like there's obviously some. I mean. Teferi's a very unfun card, but like other than that, there's a lot of very powerful cards. Um, there were some cards that I think were like really healthy and standard, like um, like Cast Down. I thought was like a really, you know, like that was I, I enjoyed that card and things like Seal Away, where you know there's like good removal, but then some big splashy bombs. So it was like a good draft format and. Uh, yeah, obviously, it was also just like a massive flavor throwback to like the entirety of the magic storyline, which was pretty cool too. I think the whole thing with like having so many legends in the set also sort of helps with like the character of the set. Just like there, there, like so many recognizable bombs as as well as just like you know, instead of like what you would usually have in draft formats, which is just like unnamed like green bomb number one that's the best in the draft format. Oh, here's the yeah, best red bomb in the format. Like they actually have like names attached to them, right? A lot of the time. Also, and I think honestly, the, you can. There's an argument that Dominaria is like the most important magic set in recent history. I I met a ton of people at the LGS who were like, you know, oh, I came back to magic because of Dominaria. Well, it also didn't. Was it the set that most closely coincided with um, the like actual public release of of Arena? Was it? Uh, I know. I think, I think the the maybe. I know. I came to Arena, and this is one of the. This is maybe jumping the gun on my answer. So for just just quickly, when you guys gave your answers, were they all based off of sets that you played during? Um, I mean, Alara wasn't, but Dominaria was sort okay. of. Yeah. I, so <clears throat> just, I, I was taking into account like in recent memory, and also like that I enjoyed. Like I I enjoyed lo- okay. watching a lot of stuff from the set that I gave, and I played a bit. So, because uh, I started playing Arena with um, the Ravnica, like Return to Ravnica block, 
Uh, uh, excuse me. Sorry. Return, return to return to, return to, return to, to Africa. Africa. <laughs> return to return to Africa. Um, and that was fun to play, and that was probably the most fun time I'd playing standard. So I guess, but uh, Arena was launched with Dominaria, right? No, I but it was, no, because I, I think it was. Well, I think it went into open beta, maybe. Or um, I don't yeah, remember. but then all that shit got wiped, right, with Kaladesh and stuff. Right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. Okay. It was it yeah, was a very I'm important sure. point. Like it was a very important set. No, release. I think I think I think the open beta was actually after like substantially after Dominaria, because Dominaria was the spring set, right? Yeah, and the fall set was the, the return to return Wait, to what Africa. was the summer set? Uh, I think that was Oh, I guess it would have been M nineteen, right? It was in twenty eighteen. Yeah. Yes. It just would have been M nineteen. Okay. But yeah, so for my answer, um, I've sneakily given two answers already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going now last time next for time, my right? for my <laughs> next my next two. So uh, I picked mine based off of like I just troll through Scryfall like all the time. I mean, I don't actually use Scryfall. I use Decked Builder, which is like an app that I have on, on okay, my phone. Okay. And yeah, shout yeah. out. But um. I just I just scroll through cards all the time and for for building decks and what a, a lot of what I kind of like to do is look at the the similarities of of cards like oh wow all of these cards are from you know this set or or blah 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 and and cards that come up all the time um or the set that comes up all the time or, or blocks are time spiral block and uh Kamigawa block Kamigawa block comes up really? all the time. What are you searching? What are you playing? I'm <laughs> well, a lot of cards that I enjoy. Kamigawa block is not necessarily for um, like a bunch of like super staple-y stuff, but a lot of the commanders from that from that block I think are really cool. Obviously, Godo. You know, just love love Godo. Love me some Godo. Um, no, but like Azusa, uh, the Moon Folk. Um, like there's just a bunch of really cool stuff going on in Kamigawa that I I don't know just appeals to me in terms of how kind of interesting um, it is. I mean, I'm, obviously people have problems with uh, some of the mechanics and stuff going on in Kamigawa, but I, I don't oh, know. I, I found some of the stuff to be pretty interesting. How could we forget um, the classic sweep? Oh, baby, there was a. Okay, can I can I just quickly pick a non-standard legal set? Because I, well, I'm just gonna do it. Battle Bond is a sick set. Battle Bond is yeah, Battle awesome. Battle Bond set. is that's great. Hype as fuck. Dude, if, if you're picking non-standard, dude, I could also pick. I could okay. also pick um, conspiracy. Non-standard, <laughs> no reprint. Dude, conspiracy was the yeah, first magic. Yeah. Magic that, that was that was Matt luring luring me into <laughs> good true conspiracy. Good, yeah. <laughs> Was the friends you made along yeah. the way? Come here, kid. I've got some candy for <laughs> you. <laughs> no, my my value um, prop for okay. that was you know you can get a foil deck Vader, which is three hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you open anything? But was there anything good in that box? No. I remember. <laughs> I remember at the LGS that I was going to at the time. I forget what it was. It might have been face to face. I don't know. Whatever. Um. No, it couldn't have been. It was. I think it was ANSI, Whatever. Uh, I remember somebody opening up a foil Leovold in store during one of the drafts. <laughs> yeah, which was like oh my the goodness. most expensive card in that set at the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, 
this has been a nostalgia trip. Um, <laughs> uh, so that wraps up. That for was this a episode. good gut check, actually. Sorry, just to. Uh, yeah, that was a yeah. good long well, gut check. I, I I appreciate it. I came <laughs> up with that real quick. <laughs> uh, so. That wraps it up for this episode. If you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at IntoNorthPod, via our email, IntoNorthPodcast at gmail.com, or on our Discord server, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. Uh, an extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast. If you too would like to become a Patreon, we are at patreon.com slash IntoNorthPodcast. Uh, another way you can support us is via our TCG Player affiliate link. Um, so anytime you want to purchase something from TCG Player, uh, if you use our affiliate link, um, which will be in the description, a portion of your purchase goes towards supporting the podcast. Thank you as always to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo, and to our long-suffering podcast editor, Roadkill. Next episode will be out, next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Bye. Peace. Have a good one. Anyone else physically wave in this section? I sometimes wave. <laughs> I definitely wave. Yeah.